And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. This is Clay Drum. He's going to be staying for dinner tonight. My wife, Catherine. Pleased to meet you. I don't know why an old notcher like me married a nice thing like that. She's so shy, she changes clothes in the barn. <laughs> Chris Honeywell is an internet loudmouth. Warren Oates, is that like war and peace with cowboys and Indians? <laughs> Hated God. and reviled by his few remaining friends, he catches the attention of Thomas DJ, perhaps the world's most cunning supervillain. Ensconced in his ultra-scientific hideout, with only his robot army and stunning assistant to keep him company, DJ springs into action. What is this idiocy? Virginia, use the molecular transmigration beam to bring this fool to me! Virginia trains the hellish mechanism, and with a clap like thunder, and in a blinding psychedelic light, Chris Honeywell stands before his tormentor. Normally, I do not suffer fools. But I see beyond the yawning chasm of ignorance that is your brain and the endless sluice of sewage which is your mouth that they form a basic animal intelligence that I may be able to mold to my own devices. Uh, okay. Therefore, in my mercy, I offer you two choices. Instant painless disintegration, or you study grindhouse movies at my feet now! Choose! Uh, I choose not disintegration. So be it. In one month, I shall assign you a movie to watch and will summon you again. Be ready! or the consequences shall be swift and merciless. Right, but how do I get to Now go! And thus began one of the most dangerous and unpredictable endeavors in evil sciencing. The Honeywell Experiment! Virginia, summon the subject! Send for the... No, no. What is this noise? This is not appropriate music, Virginia. Oh my goodness, what the... We're going to be talking about a manly western, kind of, sort of. Put on, put on something more appropriate and then send for the subject. Good lord. 
Oh. So. Hello? Yes. I'm here. I know you're here. Put down the harmonica. I... Uh, I I took all the time to learn this this beautiful theme. I don't music. want to hear this beautiful theme again. And listen to it all week. Yes, yes. Wow. <laughs> I ah, uh, that's why there's a sandwich on my screen right now. Um. Now I know I told you Night of the Bloody Apes was going to be our film, but then I realized. It's September, which means that um, October is coming up, and a movie about a murderer with an ape heart killing wrestlers is more appropriate for Halloween. (laughs) So I, I dug into... Luckily, this showed up. Uh, after being kind of lost for a long time. Um, and I was able to pick this up, which is a very odd spaghetti western. We haven't done... We've, we've done a spaghetti western parody recently, but we haven't done any real spaghetti westerns since The Great Silence. And I I know that we both love this genre. And I just wanted to give you a break from monkeys. And I figured... I like monkeys, though. I know you like monkeys. That's the problem! (sighs) Well, I like this movie, too. No monkeys in it. No. There's an occasional dog, but none of them talked, so... Nope. Nope, no, 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 no talking dog. This is, uh, actually, the funny thing is, this film is supposed to be called Love, Lead, and Fury. Amore, Piombo, e Fiore. Makes more sense than than just taking the first image off the, <laughs> off the credits. But for some or... reason, here in the States, they thought that the signpost in the opening sequence was the title. So it became China 9 Liberty 37. Yeah, it's not a totally a, not a memorable title. Totally do, gives you no idea. It sort of makes sense in the in the movie because it takes place in these two places. Mm-hmm. I mean, it start- it's a hard title to remember. You got to remember two numbers and they're like right. 9 and 37. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's and, and- it's very random. Really, neither town, even though they play, they, they are backdrops, really are important to the story. No, they're just places the characters go. But it, it's fascinating to me because this is a this is considered a spaghetti western, and is directed by a director who I actually have a lot of admiration for, um, Monty Hellman who had a relatively short career considering how long he'd been in the movie business. Um, but this was his, uh, his follow-up to uh, Cockfighter, which had, as you can imagine, problems being distributed here in the United States. Was that, that was a War Notes movie too, wasn't that's, it? Well, that's, that's the other 
thing I wanted to point out is, although this is the first time we've brought brought up the great character actor Warren Oates, and we'll be talking a lot about him this this episode, it's not the first time you and I have encountered him. Because he was, of course, the star of The Wild Bunch, which you and I and um, Sean Foster and Dario Gonzalez did a commentary track for. And in fact, the director of The Wild Bunch, Sam Peckinpah, has a very small role trying to convince our hero... I say in quotes, there are no real heroes here. Um, I mean, basically, Sam Peckinpah is playing himself. <laughs> he's just he's just a writer of dime novels, but he's basically like basically saying like, yeah, I'm the I'm the director who repackages mm-hmm. legend, legends into bloody, you know, into bloody tap right. you know, tapestries to sell to people. <laughs> so, um. And but, is creepy to women. <laughs> yes, it is creepy to women. Uh, outside of Oates, Peck and Paul, and uh, Jenny Aguder, every other character in this film is um, from the Italian Western sort of uh, ovier. And of course, I mean the, the lead, the lead. Uh, actor is uh fabio testi and here's where we get to the the biggest problem in the whole movie <laughs> right he is he is the italian arnold <laughs> basically in this movie he's just like I, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, I mean admittedly because especially because we've got it, it, we've got war notes who is of course war notes who is um, a great, great man. He would he would be considered a great, great man on Better in the Dark. That's for sure. On one side, who just being Warren Oates, and on the other side, you have Jenny Aguda. I know I'm mispronouncing her name intentionally. Um, with this really thick Irish accent. Sometimes. Yeah, sometimes. <laughs> oh, it only pops out here. There's like. It, it was almost like the scenes they shot in a certain time period. She got that accent and, yeah. and it hit really like strongly. And then other times it just wasn't wasn't there at all. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, she's not an awful actress. She's not the greatest she's, actress, see, but I she's very she's, arresting yes. visually. I think she yeah, I agree with you. She is very. Very, very visually appealing. Uh, most people remember Jenny Agoda from um, American Werewolf. Or Logan's Run. Or right. Logan's Run. But, I mean, she is a very, very striking woman. She draws the eye. I think she's a better actress than you do, apparently. <laughs> but, uh... I think a lot of times it probably depend on who is directing her. Because <laughs> Logan's Run... Eh. Yeah, American Werewolf in London. She was great in American Werewolf in London. You know, and I think she's good here. She's good here. It's a weird. This is a weird movie, and it's a weird role. But, but there's you a know. number of reasons why this kind of sticks out like a sore thumb. 
in the uh, genre of Italian of, of spaghetti westerns. Uh, one of is that it's directed by Monty Hellman, and Monty Hellman at this time, I mean, he started out with Roger Corman doing monster movies, but he hit his stride in the seventies, in the sixties and seventies, doing these very laconic, near formless films that are just fascinating to watch. And um, that sensibility still is it, it infuses this film. It is a very languid film. It takes its time uh, telling what is basically a semi-simple story. Um, and I, watching this, I was I was wondering if. Hellman inspired Robert Altman and Michael Cimino because there's a lot of echoes yes. of in this film that I I could see in the pacing for Heaven's Gate um which I saw the full and it's a really good movie people I've seen the full length version complete with um intermission it's a very beautiful movie. The only problem is it's overindulgent. Um, and in a way, this film is kind of... It is. It is. I I mean, I kind of appreciated what it was trying to... I'm, I'm going to argue that this film... I'm not going to say it's a feminist film, mm -hmm. but it's like proto-feminist. It's like... Um, it's it's really funny that Sam Peckinpah is in it. So when right. when when I heard Sam Peckinpah was in this movie, I was like, okay, maybe we'll see what. But like, and there are elements of it. There are very Sam Peckinpah elements to the movie. Right. It's, it's got a sort of straw dogs. Uh, a there there bit is of, a definite. You uh, know, man, manliness. You got that. You got the guy, the the tough guy, and his beautiful right. wife. And then you got the, you got the muscle blown slab who comes into town and hoses himself down in front of her, and she gets gooey eyed and and all that. And in a pecking pot, like when this movie, all, a lot of people die in this movie. But when yes. it all pans out, mm -hmm. it pans out unlike any other any other. Right. Well, Western no, movie he, he, would pan out for one. The two leads are both alive at the end mm -hmm. of it. it. All of the three leads are all alive at the end of yeah. it. And it has basically returned it, to the it, status quo, except the except the guy's gotten all film. his enemies. The, yeah. War and Oates wins at the end of yeah. this. <laughs> That's the interesting thing is that we are the way that the film is set up. We are expecting a change in status quo with yeah. Catherine. Yeah. At the very least. But it ends, it, it basically ends up putting all the major characters back where they were. Um, I guess there is some form of change in that War Notes decides to uh, burn down his dirt farm. And, you know, take Catherine and build the life in amongst the peoples for her yeah yeah something yeah. more for her yeah and uh and it, i mean that's the right so i mean it really is kind of like 
like it, it sort of return turns to where it belongs but it's like i think in in totality it's almost a meditation of what a shit role it was to be a woman in that yeah. time period because they have the time where, where when she runs off with 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 her with her with her hunky boyfriend mm-hmm. he's like well you got two options you can be a whore or you can be a school teacher <laughs> you know right. and that's pretty much what you got you know that's or you got to marry or you got to marry somebody and she right. he ain't going to marry her and uh and and have a nice have a nice farm and kids and and stuff right. so like yeah uh, and uh yeah and and, and it almost takes us uh, he takes a stabbing in a ba- it takes a stabbing in the back to mm-hmm. for him to go like hey you know i've really done this woman wrong <laughs> yeah. maybe i deserve yeah. that stab in the back and that's usually not and that's not how this got set up, you know. It, right. th- I mean, it was setting itself up that she was going to get raped because they had that one character who was yeah. just like aching to do it, and you're like, "Oh, geez, I, I see this coming." And uh, there's a number of times where I thought, "Okay, this is where this movie is going." Like after, and we're not spoiling anything, people. Um, after Agudar um, seemingly kills. Her husband. It's you sit after we have been introduced to his extended family. They've taken Hellman has taken a long time to establish this extended all of his brothers and their friends. Now, doesn't that scene feel like um, Alex Cox totally grabbed that? scene where the family came over for his scene in Straight to Hell where they're all singing and sitting around yeah, the table. Yeah. Even the framing of it and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and establishing the fact that one of the brothers is super horny for Christine. I I got, I even got so the I was thinking maybe they had hooked up before because he was kind of hunky too. He was kind of like a, a younger... There's also that line of where he, he said, where Warren Oates says has, he's like it happened again. Yeah. Uh, although the employee, I never see any evidence that of an again. In the in the film. In the film, right? Yeah, but yeah, it's just kind of laid there like subtext. So maybe she might have had an affair with him earlier on. And he's mad at her now. Right. And, and but yeah, after after she kills it, she she quote unquote kills Sabinek the um the Warren Oates character and rides off and says take me to liberty i said okay i get it the brother the horny brother is going to you know gather his the clan together to hunt them down and it but no we cut back to the ca- the dirt farm and a very long scene of Warren Oates coming to and struggling into consciousness, which is very Monty Hellman. And uh, the weird thing about that is, I I feel there might have been some production problems with this movie, like because I feel like it, it when I I feel like they filmed a scene where she stabbed him in the back, mm-hmm. where they fought and she stabbed him in the back, and it didn't come out good, and they were like, we can't. 
I have a feeling they had very limited film stock to use because that one of the one of the one of the things that tipped me off was there was a scene where and it wasn't a, a scene with like anything really important happening in it right or or any like a great like piece of like acting together that you'd want to save where where uh Jenny's walking into the into the into a building when they g- come into town and she just trips in the doorway. Mm-hmm. She just uh, like a, a total like a trip like anybody. It was totally a mistake, you know, mm-hmm. and, and she just keeps go keeps going and finishes the shot. And there it is in the and I don't know if they use that because they're like, ah, people trip sometimes because, right. you know, but it, but I feel that they had they, they probably the scene where she stabbed him didn't work. And they were like, what are we going to do? So mm-hmm. they just showed a uh, when. When she said, I killed, you know, he's like, what happened? She goes, I killed my husband and, you know, and and left. And then they show a, a freeze frame mm-hmm. of him lying on the floor, you know. So they, they were like, okay, well, the scene where he gets up is great. Let's just, we'll start at the beginning of that. And then we'll just start the film reeling when we show him right. actually, like, then we'll show I, him, like, I, moving. You think that it, it's to cover something up. I, knowing Hellman's work. It's an artistic choice. I think it was a very, very conscious choice. Well, it's very, I mean, it sticks out in the rest of the movie. There's nothing else like that in the rest of the movie. So. Uh, I I think it was a conscious decision to make the, I think that she felt it wasn't the stabbing in the back, but the knocking him on the head that killed him. To be honest, um, but I think it, they were they were both conscious choices. The idea of, of showing this in one long take and in a kind of like a mid shot, to so so that we're slightly distanced from Agudor and uh, Oates as he beats her and she retaliates. Yeah, and it also has an element of she's telling the story, so it, it's mm-hmm. almost like it's it's what she's seeing in her head, or mm-hmm. it could be true or not true. It's just sort of an image that's it, it works. It just mm-hmm. felt it was so different than anything else in the movie. Mm-hmm. He, he, although as a director, and 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 like the screenplay and stuff, like. He really like I really appreciated that he does not over explain or or um, he sets stuff up really good. Like uh, his like War Notes' gun. Right. Like, talking about War Notes' gun. He's like take guy's arm off at, you know, five hundred yards right. and half a mile and blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. And uh, and just about how attached to that gun he is. So then the scene at the end where, you know, uh, where they're where they're under siege and 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 um, um, in comes the, the 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 Italian slab and starts picking them off. Right. Like you know, it's never spoken, but you know, Warren Oates knows that he's being helped out by the guy he's hunting down because right. he recognizes the sound of his gun. He recognizes mm-hmm. like that 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 somebody's up in the hill that he's up in the hills with his, like saving his life with his own gun. Right. So, and when he comes down, he's like, okay, you know, um, 
but and and that's that you know a lesser filmmaker would have had him go like that's my gun up there you know send something yeah, to somebody because, or, well, yeah, or something exactly. like well, that this is the 70s when when it was assumed that people watching films had were brains. paying attention yeah yeah we're paying attention had brains you're right if this film was made not that this i think this film would ever be made today because it's too slow it's like who's gonna watch this thing um but if this film was made today, you are you are right. He would have he would have he would have had a speech. He would have called out to the railroad men. You know what this is? You, you know he would have yeah. They he would have they would have put an exclamation point right on this development. Um, that gun. It's interesting how um, at one point we see drum the uh, Fabio Testi character, using it as a crutch, literally. Yep, yep, I love that, I love I that, thought, and that, but that's what I you would do. sequence because we, we definitely get the, the idea that there is a long history between Drum and this, this madam. Yes. But he doesn't explain it. She doesn't, she doesn't even, like, they didn't even have the obligatory scene where she gets mad that no. he's brought trouble to her, her house. No, you know, no. She's, she's just like, she, she, she gets, she has one of her girls shot in the head and, and mm -hmm. she just, she, she's just like, she just like blasts somebody and just gives him the old like, hey. <laughs> yeah. Good no, luck. <laughs> I mean, the fact that the moment he shows up, there, there, there's no banter, there's no... A uh, conversation. It's just you're hurt. Yep. Get the get the guy that knows some first aid. Get him the doctor. Get him a lady. Exactly. <laughs> no. Get, and, and, and hide him away in in the red room. <laughs> it's just it, it's just that there's Helmy knows just to give us just enough that we understand that there is this long history between these two characters and that they respect each other. Um, and that they trust each other. They didn't. We don't need to hear the whole backs. This is, of course, as you know, the obligatory rant. Um, that nowadays we have to see every bit of backstory. No, no. I mean, that's the thing. Is like this movie lets you lets your imagination put the backstory in it, and it gives you little details like. Mm -hmm. You know, you have the first scene where he's in the he's he's gonna get hung, and you right. got one of the jailers is just hates him. It, it is just or, or is just torturing him. Basically, mm -hmm. he's like, I want some water before I die. He splashes water in his face, and he's just being generally going to make his last moments unpleasant. But later on in the movie, when he has to shoot the guy, he doesn't want to shoot him. No, he's, no. he's just like, look, you got kids and stuff. You got a wife and kids. Don't don't and after he shoots him, he he like is obviously upset about it. He's just like, mm -hmm. oh God, you jerk, you know. And yeah, and uh, and it's it's and then then you start thinking about the scenes in the jail, and and it takes a, you know it just adds little little nuances to it. And, it's a film with a lot of ambiguity emotionally. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I like that. It's one of the things like. I know you haven't seen it, but it, it's definitely a film I think is so you. You would so dig it. Um, his 
film he made in 71, Monty Hellman made, uh, Tulane Blacktop, is pretty much formless. To the point where there are actual dialogue flubs in the in the film that, that Hellman kept. And there too, we know just enough about the characters that we understand what's going on. We're not given uh, law like you know, if this was made today, you would have that character that you were talking about say, you killed my brother or something similar. Something to that effect, yeah. yeah. And I like the fact that in a way that, that even though he's not the greatest actor in the world, Fabio Testi is sort of a blank slate which other people fill in. Yeah, it's it, uh, you know what he was reminding me of was Udo Kier and Joe D'Alessandro in Warhol movies mm-hmm. where they were just they were a slab. Right. And like about halfway through this movie, I'm like, I'm rooting for Warren Oates. <laughs> Warren, well, Oates uh, Warren Oates is the, is a is a is a living, breathing like he's a living, breathing mm-hmm. human. He's a, like the center to it. And he's uh, he uh, in the in the movie. He hasn't done anything, anything to make you want him to oh. want bad things to happen to him. Right. Although in his life, he's he's a murderer. You know, he's yes. murdered families he, he and is, stuff. He was once he was once drunk. He was a gunslinger and decided that you know enough's enough. He was worse because drum yeah. drum drum goes out there and he goes, I like these two. I'm not gonna kill this guy for the railroad. I'm just gonna yeah. take my five hundred dollars and and fuck off, you know, and uh and, and when Jenny Uggard when a uh, Catherine finds him and tells her, Oh, I killed my husband, he gives the money back. Yeah. Because he said, Look, the person you wanted is dead. I didn't kill him. There's your money. It's all there. He's a very moral character. Although, if he hadn't been there, if he hadn't been there, she wouldn't have killed her husband. So, like, in a exactly. sort of, in a sort of sneaky way, he did. He, he's he is responsible for killing the husband. But it's funny. He's like, he doesn't want responsibility for that kill, though. <laughs> yeah. And he also he also very very gently, but he's still chi- He's just like really one. Uh, a man's life was the trade-off for, you know, a little bit right. of fun. Huh. And, uh... I, and when he says to her, when she says, oh, I got his gun, I'm gonna I can get $100 for it, and he goes, the only person you're gonna sell that gun to is me. Yeah, and... It's, it's and, not like a mercenary move, it is a sign of respect. Right. It, it, he is honoring this person that he grew to admire and gives him his gun back at the end (laughs) yeah exactly it's like it's very weird because this is a very moral man in a genre where there's not a lot of morality well that's the big line and i think that's the big for me that was the big line in the movie was he shoots the gun out of Warren Oates' hands without shattering all the bones in Warren mm-hmm. Oates' hands, but, you know, stand. 
shoots the gun out of his hand and Warren Oates is just like, you know, you're not going to last long, son. You know, gunfighter right. with a heart is, you know, just not going to make it very, very long. And, uh, It's, Which is is I guess it's true, but it didn't. <laughs> that's not how it played out in the. It, it turned out okay for pretty right. much. I mean, it turned out better for him because he didn't have any like family or anything that died. Right. Warren Oates lost his whole family and, mm-hmm. you know, got cheated on by his wife and stabbed in the back and, and all that and 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 Jenny got out of it pretty unscathed. Another now, thing, that, uh, speaking you. of weird dialogue, mm-hmm. what about that scene at the circus that, that looks like it was an improv by the actors? Because it makes no sense. They do the, the they do the show him your nuts joke. Right. Where he goes, show, show him your, the guy's staring yeah. at her and you're wondering if he's ogling her or if he's just like a spot, like spotted them and is going to turn him in or something. But, right. He goes, show him, show up your nuts, and she yeah. turns to him and does the blah, 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 blah. Yeah. It's right. It's a joke right out of um, uh, Kentucky Fried Movie. Well, because <laughs> remember, he told that joke to her when they were in bed earlier. Oh, I mi- I totally miss that. Okay, now it that's makes sense. That's why he said. That's why he. Of course, the funny thing is, it's not her he's ogling; it's him because. He- this guy recognizes drum and goes, oh shit, there's going to be trouble. Yeah. Um, now let me ask you this. Who is the main character in this film? I'm going to argue it's, I'm going to argue it's Jenny. See, I'm going to argue it's her because. There is an argument to be made for both Jenny and Warren Oates. Um, Drum is, even though he's in most of the film, Drum is basically, um... Dusex Machina? (laughs) No, no, I was about to make a a really weird comparison that people are going to look at me funny. Um, he's, uh, Kurt Russell in Big Trouble in Little China. Oh, yeah, just a big, a, uh, a, a, a dumb dimbo, or himbo. Yeah, <laughs> yeah for sure. That stuff, ha- that, that stuff happens around. Yeah. And sometimes he is a catalyst for some of this stuff, but most of the time, he's kind of just to the side. Mad Max. Yeah. A little bit. Or, or yeah, so in that, this film is is mostly about Warren Oates, I think, and Jenny Ogrunner. Um, I think that in the end, the script kind of chickens out. Well, it's hard to say it, it because I think it like the whole way it played out is ridiculous in the context of a Western or a spaghetti Western. Mm-hmm. But in the context of like real people, real right. people do shit like that, you know? Real, real people do shit like that. Yeah, like our marriage was on the rocks, and the, or, what was that movie? There was that movie with uh, uh, Kevin, whatever, and Tracy Ullman, where she, you know, she shot him. Yeah. yeah, where she shot him, and then he's just like, I just, I, you know, I didn't never realized how much my li- wife loved me until she tried to kill me for cheating on her. You know, and yeah. that that sort. Of, but and and that people will like 
instead of being like, you cheated on me into the mud, scum queen, you know, he's, he's, you know, they're all, they're all looking at their options and, right. and, and they just sort of go like, okay, you know, all right, we all you realize what doubt. just happened here. <laughs> you never doubt the fact that Warren Oates cares. Why am we calling the, the actors names that Sabanek cares for his wife? Because he stops her from being raped by his horny brother. And later actively threatens the man and almost kills him for implying that they should rape her. While they're out in the... Um, out yeah, in the yeah. Desert. Like, he, that's what that, that point... Like, it, before he was, like, willing to let this guy, like, scare her. But at this point, the guy, he could tell the guy, that's all that's just, you know, that guy's bringing every topic to like, you know what, would warm us up. And he was just like, you know what, we're going to end this right here because, yeah. because I'm not, a, I'm not as mad anymore. <laughs> and, right. uh, and, uh, yeah, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to take this idea right out of this kid's head. Yeah. And, uh, it's, I mean, it's, it's. It's more complex, you know, just personal relation and realistic personal relationship wise, right. but still in the context of a, a you know, spaghetti western shoot 'em up. So it's it's a weird it's a weird almost dissonance to it. I mean I mean they were making a lot of movies like this around this time of, of Well, well we're at the tail stuff. end of the of the spaghetti western at this point. In 1978. Yeah, now by this point, almost every Western was kind of either subversive or had some, mm -hmm. you know, weird weird element or more modern element to it, you know, or something to, you know, twist it around. It, it, this is probably like post, like, um, oh, what was it? Uh, Pat Barrett, Garrett and Billy the Kid type of Definitely. stuff, you know. And, uh, and so, I, I it, like, it... it it's it's almost as subversive as great freedom but it's just not as it's not as viscerally pulled off like mm. it's 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 not perfect in how it's pulled off but i i mean i i'm i'm a weirdo that way but i love um if a, if a, if a movie gets me in into the world that i'm in mm -hmm. It's okay if it goes at a languid pace, you know. I mean, uh, it's well, yeah. a, if if you get sucked into another world and and the languid pace of when you're going to be in that other world is an hour and a half, ain't a lot of that's not a lot of time. So if you're if you're enjoying the atmosphere, or if I'm enjoying the atmosphere, I'll I'll drink it in. So I didn't right. feel. I wasn't like, woo, really immersed in this movie, but I never <laughs> felt like I, I I was never checking to be like, okay. How far along are we in this story? Mm -hmm. You know, it, it felt like it was sort of evolving at its at its own at its own pace, and and right. it's a spaghetti western. So you know, if you wait around long enough, a lot of people are going to get shot up. And the the shootout scenes, I think, are really uh, really interesting and nicely nicely done in this. They're very coherent. I love. The shot of where he tosses the the dynamite at the one yes. guy, shoots him, and then the doorway, you know, they they place. I mean, some real stunt man had to sit there with like that. He had something behind him to 
to stop the blast but man that was a pretty uh pretty crazy shot of a stuntman and an explosion just happening mm. right behind it you know a, a basically a dead body it was just nicely nicely you know you you got every every shot was accounted for you know and right. so you knew where everybody was what they were doing it's just very well done I like the scene where you just jump. They're just like the shooting begins. I'm just gonna jump inside into a window. You mm-hmm. rarely see that. <laughs> it's usually the other way around. Yes. Um, now, see, I knew going in that this was gonna be a very deliberately paced film because I'm familiar with Hellman's Hellman's work. It's. I just kept thinking. You made a mention about the um, the circus scene that looked like it came out of nowhere. Uh-huh. And that reminded... Heaven's Gate came up a lot in my mind when I was watching this film. Um, because there is a, an extended sequence in Heaven's Gate where a new skating rink opens in the town. And we spend about 25 minutes watching the townspeople in the skating rink. That sounds, see, to me, that sounds just wonderful. You know, how, how often, it's, it's you know, how often do you get the scene. chance to go back in time and watch yeah. something like that? It is, a, it is a really good scene. It is just too long. Uh, I think Samino, in hit, in, particularly in Heaven's Gate, was trying to capture the same sort of very slowly paced, deliberate, way of storytelling that Hellman and Robert Altman was another person whose name yes. kept coming up in my mind as I was watching this. It's the biggest problem was Chimino had no oversight. Uh, you know, the, the, the legend, well, they, they made a whole book about it, but the producers at United Artists got the the, fir- the first director's cut and he said and the the guy who wrote the book on uh, heaven's gate um who is one of the producers said it was the one of the most beautiful films i've ever seen it was great it was amazing and it was eight hours long yeah yeah <laughs> um i think that is the biggest sin that heaven's gate commits i mean have you did they did they even um like just like sort of consider godfather style going like let's make this into two movies or something No, they just said they 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 said to camino we need to cut it down to something a little more logical and they came up with the four-hour version and when that didn't do well they handed it to somebody who wasn't camino cut it down to 93 minutes and renamed it and yeah, and that's and and yeah, um, that was yeah. And then it hit Siskel and Ebert, and they were like, "What happened?" Yeah, no, <laughs> it was just like Once Upon a Time in America, you know. Oh gosh, yes. Um, but it's a very good film, by the way. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. I greatly enjoyed my time. It's on of, my list. It's on. It's on my list because Heaven's Gate. Um. 
and I, I just I like the fact that, that there is an ambiguity about who is the supposedly we are meant to follow drum, but drum is not really the protagonist. Of this not film. much going on with him. You not know, not much going on. He does. He doesn't change. He, he has a sense of morality at the beginning. He has the same sense of morality at the end. And just kind of like wanders off into the sunset by his own self. Yep. So, um, whereas I, I think both um, Matthew and Christine do change. I sometimes there was some moments where I was thinking that Christine doesn't have much agency in her own in, in her own uh, story. But who? But that—that that was that's sort of the point of it. That's that's sort you're 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 sort of screwed if you're a woman like her mm-hmm. in that time period. There's not too many, you know, function. You you can't go out and be sheriff. You know, right. you can't just go. You know, I mean, you. I mean, if you were like a super tough frontiersman woman you could probably mm-hmm. carve your your own existence as a gunfighter your any oakley or whatever but well, for someone like her her options are just it's like this cruel rea- reality around her is everybody is 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 warren oats you know everybody you everybody know. like warren oats is the best of, everybody's like scumbag rapist mm-hmm. rough uh, stealing from everybody else or mm-hmm. running people off and and yeah and there and she has to like grab onto someone tough who's who's mm-hmm. got a and 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 to her credit the two guys that she's grabbing onto both have like moral centers yeah and, and uh so it's it, you know it, it she could have been just a purely like manipulative manipulative like character or mm-hmm. a, a sort of you know evil mm-hmm. evil if it was a Sam Peckinpah movie she would have been she would have been evil she would have been point. inconsequential she would be even she would not be a consideration yeah she um, would... the thing that's fascinating to me is that of our main characters Christina has no backstory yeah she she is the only it's like we get a sense of where Drum has been and. Matthew, we get a great sense of where he's been because he's open about what he's done. But I was like, is she like uh, an immigrant? Is she a mail order? Was she a mail order bride? There's no real. The only thing that they give you is when she has her Irish accent. She came, came from Ireland and and uh yeah, and uh, and you get the impression she's been married to him for for a while. Yeah, and, yeah. And so when she, whenever they met and he married her, she was probably very young. And yes. So like maybe she came over with somebody and something happened with her family and they they're gone, or she was a mail order bride and trying to right. yeah, but that nothing, nothing. But that's that that the less you know about her though, the less the longer it takes to get any kind of handle on her motivations. So she could, you know, at the beginning, it could be like, she's just a troublemaker. You know, she could be just a troublemaker who like has an, like a, 
uh, opportunistic old guy to take care of her while she mm-hmm. get you know gets every you know hangs around in the pool to see what kind of mm-hmm. what kind of gunslinger is going to ride by and stuff and as it goes along it builds sympathy for her mm-hmm. until at the end where you know the two guys that have been battling over are both like well i mean she obviously has good they they both have admiration for each other mm-hmm. and they and they and they and they have one of the weird yeah. things not in one of these movies is they have respect for her right and and warren oates is kind of like yeah, maybe I would have stabbed me in the back too. Yeah, you know. Like Warren Oates out and out says, "If she, de- whatever she decides, is good with me." Right, right. If she decides to run away with you. I'm not going to stop her. At the at the end, it's it's. I think it's just a fascinating film, and I I really enjoyed it. Um, I should. We should probably mention that the film started out as a script by a man named Jerry Harvey, who this is, I think, his only script writing credit. But he is revered among cult film cir- um, fan circles for being the film programmer for a a very early cable station in Los Angeles called Channel Z. Oh my god, sounds awesome. <laughs> there is a there is a documentary about Channel Z out there. I don't remember the name, but the thing was he had this very eclectic and and you can see it in in the bare bones of the script. Yeah. Um it was it had been worked so he worked on this script with uh, Douglas Venturelli. And then other people came in. So I don't know how, I mean, it, I think a lot of Jerry does come through. And I think Jerry Harvey and Monty Hellman made a very good, like meshed very well together as far as their sensibilities were concerned. There's just one element that, that got you though, wasn't it? Oh, 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 oh. Every yes. time, hey, not only is it a boring just sort of midland like that's one thing about spaghetti westerns is i come in wanting some wanting some music you know and you usually get some lurid ass music and it's great and very in it you know the word i would use for a lot of spaghetti western um scores is operatic yes yes and this one this one sounds like like you're in a shopping mall and they're playing the music version of Everybody's Talking at Me from Midnight Cowboy. It's just like this. It, 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 it sounds like something you would hear in an Altman movie or something, but right. it's also recorded very tinny and it just doesn't, it and doesn't sound, sound good. And it's always, it's ever present. <laughs> the sound mix does not do the score or the film any no. favors because no. they layer the, the score so loudly onto the soundtrack onto the the sound bed that sometimes it kind of obliterates what fabio testi is saying well testi, sometimes fabio testi sort of obliter- obliterates what yeah. he's saying too so <laughs> the combination is deadly exactly the thing is fabio testi does not speak 
speaks very softly. He is does not have a lot of bombast in him. Or fa- yeah, he, yeah, he's very he he's laconic, but not in in a chiseled way, mm-hmm. and not in a like. And not like in a Clint Eastwood way or or in a in an interesting way. He almost just is like his expressions are almost kind of like a, a self-conscious actor or mm-hmm. something, you know. Sometimes he almost has like a little little grin or something, but he's right. not. Uh, he doesn't play a charismatic guy. He's just he's sort of delivering his lines, and. Like the, like, I mean, all he, like, really, he doesn't like normally what you would have mm-hmm. a movie like this was the young gunslinger would be, uh, you know, flirting with her, or, mm-hmm. you know, there'd be a dinner scene where he's, he's, you know, they're having a little conversation over Warren Oates and Warren Oates mm-hmm. picking up on it. This, when they eat dinner, it's just like silent. <laughs> it's just like, ah, blah, blah, eating. Because... That's a great scene, too. Because even though Drum finds his wife attractive, he is showing respect to this man who is giving him a place to sleep for the night. Yes, yes. And ultimately he says this is not a bad, he thinks to himself, this is not a bad man. No, he went from being ready to get strung up watching the hangman prep his thing to eating chicken, which was a big deal. You know, he's like, we got guests, it's time to go out and kill a chicken. Suppose we should kill a chicken. He basically says, "No, this is this is a this is a, an admirable man. I will. I'm not going to kill this person." So, um, it's it's just a it's a fascinating little film. I can understand why it didn't do well in America because it had a very sparse theatrical release. Um, some areas did not get around to to seeing it in theaters on, as late as 1984. Oh, geez, yeah. And, and by that a, time, it, by that time, there was no audience for this, really. Yeah, exactly. We are we are in the 80s. We are now in full um, full over the top dazzle mode. The the most anybody was going in for westerns in the 80s, uh, spaghetti westerns were like on. I, you know, there were a lot of kids I know who were like the outlaw Josie Wales. That's a good movie, but that, well, that's you a seventies film, right? 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 And that was about as that's about as western as it got in mm-hmm. in eighty four. You well, know, yeah, by by eight by eighty by the eighties, the western was considered truly dead. Um, the only big name westerns I can think of that were made in the eighties were either. Clint Eastwood vehicles, right? Or Young Guns. Young Guns, yes. Um, Which was an eighties movie. Yes, and there were others. There were the Long Riders, but the thing was, it was it was considered a dead genre. Yeah. Well, well. Remember, they did a they 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 when Star Wars came out, they were like, ooh, that that throwback sort of thing and they made a big deal of trying to do a Lone Ranger movie mm-hmm. and, it, oh, yeah. and it, a huge flop huge disappointment to the studio so that might have killed it too for a while I thought would be a big signal to Hollywood that people don't want a Long Ranger movie 
that there were there were two like in the in the 80s the uh, you know what i'm now remembering there were two great westerns of the 80s okay but they were blips and they were right. they were recognized by like Siskel and Ebert and reviewers and stuff but they didn't they got a little bit of play i i saw both of them on hbo they mm. n- they never made it to our movie theater and um one was barbarossa with uh, willie nelson yes i remember and, French, and the gray fox with richard yeah. farnsworth mm-hmm Two, oh, but God, two, yes, at, at two movies about the 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 end of that era, though, with with yeah. old, old, you know, gristled characters, but they yes. were and and yes. they were both very like slow, slower paced, you know, character study movies. But they were both fantastic, mm-hmm. that, you know. But I mean, they were both just driven by Willie Nelson and Farnsworth. Were like. Just like here, we're gonna put you in the perfect movie for you. It was weird because both of these films was about kind of how the West was dead. Yeah, yeah. And something that kind of started with with Peckinpah when he started doing films like The Wild Bunch. Um, yeah. And um, later films like uh, Bring Me the Head of Alfredo Garcia, which is a War Notes starring film. And it is insane. I, I I've actually seen that one. That okay, was, that was my second peck. Uh, my first peck and pop. My first peck and pop was Straw Dogs, and my second one was right. the head of Alfredo Garcia. Lots of flies in that movie, and sound yes. effects of flies. I loved it. But um, you, it, it's I, I think that the fact that it wasn't available for a long time, um. Did, gave it. I didn't even know this existed until I watched a documentary on Channel Z. I think like about twelve years ago, and I was immediately intrigued because you know it's Monty Hellman. It's you know and this guy who was such a this fascinating guy who was just obsessed with film in all forms, all genres. He just loved film. Um, and, and what we got was something very very i wouldn't say strange but very different yeah uh i I think this would be an interesting double bill with mccabe and mrs miller oh okay which of course is robert altman's um western and it also makes me want to makes me want to seek out oc and stiggs which is the robert altman attempt to do a raucous comedy I tried to watch that. That's that's bad. I hear it's it's actually it's, worse. It's it's hard to watch because yeah. Robert Altman is not John Hughes. Yes, he's Robert Altman, but he knows exactly. he knows his Robert Altman stuff. But the patter from a John Hughes movie translated into and John Hughes, you know, I could do a whole spiel about John Hughes and but John Hughes, like I was a kid and i was a teenager watching john hughes movies in the 80s and he i don't think he hit a realistic tone but he hit a tone that worked for for teenagers he had a tone that seemed realistic to his and, and he had like ferris bueller's day off where you had that dream that that like dream care you know fantasy character of a teenager who's more sophisticated than the adults 
and right. has just got like the 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 key to living his life and is 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 helping everybody else by being a free spirit and that's sort of what oc and stig seems like they're trying they're those characters are you're supposed to be like these kids are, are have got it together and they're but they just come off as the most obnoxious assholes you've, well, you've ever, ever met in your life OC and stig stories from the national lampoon they're intentionally obnoxious Okay, so that okay, it, but like you feel in the movie that you're supposed to think that they're funny and mm -hmm. and and you're supposed to follow them through the movie, and you just want to see them murdered. Right. You want to see it turn into a Friday the Thirteenth movie or something, basically. Mm -hmm. But they are that their dialogue is intelligently written, but it sounds like the dialogue written by a funny fifty-year-old man, right? For for two teenagers. Who are also like kind of looking like they're in their twenty. It's it's really it's it's I, I couldn't I couldn't do it I couldn't do it and I'm usually like kind of a cringe right. cringe sewer mm -hmm. and uh, yeah it was it was hard. So, I like I love Robert Altman too. So yeah, no Robert Altman is is. A great, but he experiments, so he's gonna go wrong sometimes. Yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> not for everybody. Yeah, no, I'd, I'd rather have him make a few OC and Stigs, you know, and and make the player, you know. Oh God, the player was interminable. I haven't seen it since it was out in the movie theater, but I loved it when it was out in the movie theater. But I have a feeling it was a like. And another thing that Robert Altman does, a movie of its very specific time period when it came out, right. you know, and but, no, no, it right no. then. And then when you watch it, I, I have a feeling if I watch it now, especially with the actor salad in it, yeah, it would just be very distracting. It's it's it. I just I hated that. I watched it. I bought it has a has a DVD from Hollywood video for for, for it was they had a two for five dollar sale. For their, um, they were retiring a bunch of their DVDs, right? So I bought that, and I bought Spider-Man, the original Tobey Maguire Spider-Man. I watched the player exactly once, and then threw it away. <laughs> I'm like, my, I'm only out 250. My two favorite Altmans are M.A.S.H. and, uh, and, um... Popeye. <laughs> yeah. I love Popeye. Popeye mm. is like one of those movies. It feels like it... Well, it, it's another film, I think, where you've got this this meeting of minds that should have gotten together long ago in Robert Altman and Harry Nielsen. Harry Nielsen. I am, Which brings us back know, to everybody's talking at me. <laughs> as you know, I am a Harry Nielsen fan. And the mesh of the two of them with this improvisation and the fact that you gave Robin Williams an improvisational framework where he could do Robin Williams. And then you give Shelley Duvall the role that like fucking millions of years of evolution led to yes. her being the perfect olive oil. And... <clears throat> And let's not, let's not underestimate the casting of Poop Deck Pappy, mm -hmm. the the perfection, the the perfection of Poop Deck Pappy. So mm -hmm. like, 
but and but that that movie to me it almost is like his deepest movie that that movie almost like sums up the human condition for me that's where right. people I, people start l- losing me on Popeye discussions because they're like it's it's really fun and it's funny and it's and the songs are right. uh, amazing but it's so it's it's just like the Seeger old Seeger comics there's like some mm-hmm. there's an essence to it that is almost just like life like mm-hmm. a, a reflection of of the basic human life in this weird bizarre way and and I think only Altman could have captured it right. correctly you know like, by the way Nash almost... is just a riot it's just you a know by the way chaos we almost got a Getty Tar- Tartakovsky Popeye movie that would be um, something I would wait in line for. That yeah, I just, I just want to drop that idea. We almost got that. Yeah, and we almost got a. Um, oh, what the hell is that director's name for for Pixar? Um, Brad Bird. We almost got a Brad Bird spirit co- um, move animate like cell animated spirit movie too at one yes. point. And, yes, uh, I, I remember that. And they actually Brad Bird um, before they made one of my favorite awful films of all time um out of this property brad bird was attached to cats when disney was thinking of doing it as an animated feature you can't have a bird make a cat movie man (laughs) it's not gonna come out right it's gonna be skewed so I am oh, well, the, the critics would the critics would have had so much good or bad. They would have had so much fun using the bird and the cat <laughs> things. It would have been just driven into the ground. I think we're on the same page here when I say that <clears throat> it is that this film, China Nine, Liberty Thirty Seven, is a highly recommended watch. Yes, about midway through it, I was like, "This is an okay movie. I'm I'm enjoying it, but I don't I, like it, it. It doesn't stand out." And by the end of it, I was like, "Okay, I see why this is a standout." And it's, since I've watched it, I've been thinking about it a lot. You know, yeah, I've been thinking no, that's, about that's what happened thing. in it and how it played out and how it was put together and how the story was mm-hmm. told. And it's yeah, it it, it lingers with you. It it occurs to me that sometime in the the, the coming year, I'm going to have to expose you to a spaghetti western that's not exceptional. (laughs) Okay. Because even, okay, you can count straight to hell as a spaghetti western, but it's not really. It's definitely exceptional as a spaghetti western. But the the only two spaghetti westerns I've shown you is this and The Great Silence, which is one of my favorite films of all time yeah um i so i'm i'm wondering if i should show you like a santara tana film like or, one of the ones that was just ground out with no, artlessly well, yeah. ground out <laughs> there, there's the big the big three characters in um in spaghetti westerns django santara and sabato And not so much Sabato. Sabato was basically the guy who created Satara 
making Sitara into a comedic character and giving it to Lee Van Cleef. And it's very entertaining. But Django and Sitara, because of Italy's, shall we say, almost non-existent copyright laws, <laughs> was gleefully ripped off by many, many, many a much lesser director than the directors who did the original Django and the original Santana, Santana films. Santara, I think. But yeah, I think I'm going to sh I have to show you one of these because you know, I know that we both love the genre, but we also, I, I have to admit, as much as I love the genre, there is a lot of crap. And we haven't, we haven't touched the crap yet. Oh, so, oh, guys, Thomas but, is going to make me touch also, the crap. <laughs> yes, well, there, there's one film I would love to show you because it, it's a wonderful film with uh, Giuliano Gemma called California. But the only print I have is, is corrupted, which upsets me to no end. But, um... But yes, so uh, I'm, I'm pleased that we had this discussion, and I am going to give you a crap film next time, a crap spaghetti western next time. But next time, real next time. Back to the monkey hearts, baby. Yes. Now, now we should, I'm going to pull back the curtain just a little bit to let the people who have been listening to the Honeywell Experiment know that we have been having problems finding Night of the Bloody Apes. Which is what I want to show the monkey here. So, if we fail to find a copy of Night of the Bloody Apes, we will be going back to the original, the film that inspired the Night of the Bloody Apes, Doctor of Doom. By the same filmmaker, too, right? Same filmmaker. Same plot. <laughs> Doctor of Doom is in black and white. Night of the Bloody Apes is in bloody color. Ah. Uh, and also features actual open heart surgery footage. Oh. Yeah. And, I can take it. Um, but basically the same film. It's just, it's. I think the thing is Doctor of Doom is more of an all ages film. Whereas Night of the Bloody Apes is definitely for the adultas. I hear it's got blood and boobies in it, so... It's got blood, it's got boobies, and it's got a beast. I can take an open-heart surgery video. I've I've been to a Butthole Surfers concert, and I've... Okay. Uh, I, remember see, I remember seeing a full um, um, dissection of a cadaver uh. um, on PBS as a kid. <laughs> so, so, yes. So, one way or the other, we are going to have... An ape man fighting female wrestlers. Yeah, yes, it's yes. Just, it's just a question of which version we're going to see. Oh, you're awakening my inner edge. And I did ask... Yes, sir. Yes. I did ask the moons if they'd like to join us. Ah, yes, the moons. I, I, I think we can agree that, that the moons are kind of like the unofficial co-hosts. I like the moons. They're sometimes... Oh, I love them. I love them. They, they are... They are my friends, and I, I adore them. Occasion, yeah. Occasionally friendly to me on, on the show, and it's it's a nice change of pace. I have to talk to them about that. 
but <laughs> you have your assignment, and you know what time it is now. I know it's monkey time. No, it's time to go. <laughs> Visit our website at twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. You can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Two True Freaks and all of its excellent affiliates are available on iTunes, and you can choose to subscribe to either the entire network if you wish, or pick whichever individual shows you want to follow. We have so many shows to choose from, there's just bound to be one that appeals to your particular fandom. Just search Two True Freaks with an exclamation mark at the end, space, and the number two. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? If you've enjoyed our show, please, won't you take a moment to rate us on iTunes? That helps others find the show, too. Thanks for listening. And join us every Monday for new episodes of Two Two True True Freaks. Freaks.